Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, and alongside me here we have Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. Also known as Nighty Knight, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's like with a what? Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show as Earl at free and as early as Monday. I was going to mix those up right there. If you don't have any bucks, it's awesome. Don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, continuing our Listener's Choice Month, also known as Ghoulish Nights, we are chatting about the second film that you guys suggested to us here over at Nightlight, a horror movie, horror movie podcast. Uh, and we're going to talk about A24's Jeremy Saunier's, I think that's how you say his last name, Green Room. First and foremost, Freddy, thoughts? Wow. So this is what, our third A24 film? Hereditary and the Monster and now this, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. And I got to say, this one's very different from those two. And Very I, different. <laughs> and I have to say, I really enjoyed myself. And this movie definitely, like set limits for me. There's a lot of stuff in this movie where I cringed so bad. <laughs> and I was so shocked about it too. I was like, there's no way this movie's getting me this bad and we're only halfway through. Um, yeah. It's kind of crazy yeah. casting too because you see an actor in there that you would not expect to be in a horror movie. And I was like, oh, no way. This is kind of like the main antagonist. I'm really are, interested are you about are you this. about Patrick Stewart? Patrick Stewart. Yes. Oh, my end. Because, you know, you see him in the X-Men, you see him in Star Trek and stuff like that, and you don't expect him to be in this type of role. And he fits perfectly in this world, I gotta say. And I gotta love the music. He's genuinely fucking scary. Oh, yeah. He's... It's the thing about him that's so scary is that he's very nonchalant about it. He knows how yeah. to like plan stuff out in a very sadistic way. And it just works so well for this movie. And this movie is just really well written. And I got to say that uh, I'm a big fan of the music because growing up, I was like into like alternative rock, not as hardcore metal as this is, but it definitely got into that. I am. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no way. Uh, of course. I, I, I think I knew about that. Oh yeah! But, I hope hopefully you did. Right, um, <laughs> it got me in the mood. It's like looking at the mosh pits and rocking out. I was like, oh, this is really getting me to the mood of where I used to be in high school, being in the middle of those mosh pits, even though I was really short at that time. Like I didn't care. <laughs> but no, this this movie's a blast. I would say it's one of those movies that I might not want to rewatch every now and then, but I appreciate a lot about this movie, and I would be down to watch it again, but at a yeah. later date, not right away. Right. It's funny you say that because after watching this, this is my second time watching this. And after watching this, I was like thinking to myself, fuck, I should really watch this movie more often because I had mm. so much fun with this movie. I have I, and even the first go around when I first watched this, I had fun with it. And I forgot so much in this second this second go around. And I just I loved it. I, I had so much appreciation for how everything was done i it, the fact that it was also a24 
Um, which it's funny we say that A twenty four just has this repertoire, right? That they put these very independent films out, and right. and on top of that, because it, it, it's 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 hard to say that they're very independent because they're independent films with high budget, and like with Green Room, the budget for this was five million dollars, and. Grant, that's not a shit ton, but at the same time, I mean, they got fucking Patrick Stewart in an independent movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, for sure. Come on. Yeah. And so it, it, it's wild to think that we hold A24 up to this kind of this granular stature when it comes to their films and their filmmaking, um, even though they technically don't make the films, they distribute them. Um, but it's very interesting that they chose this one as a distribu- as a property. Because this definitely doesn't seem to fit some of their mold. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. other other films similar that also seem like it doesn't fit the A24 mold, like Free Fire, for example. That's true. Like, that's yeah. an A24 movie that definitely looks like it shouldn't be an A24 movie. It's very bad. But anyway, <gasps> uh, I did not like Free Fire. It was all right. Free Fire was not good. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was dumb. But anyway, uh, with Green Room, I love this movie and the gore is fantastic as you said you've you cringed at certain spots and i'm just like whoa fucking yeah his arm and like i forgot about that i thought he got his arm completely chopped off but he damn near should have i mean it was fuck. Dude, <laughs> it was brutal it's such a brutal movie but if we even break this down further because obviously that's what we do here at nightlight horror movie podcast um to where y- you kind of get this whole thing with uh nazis right the neo-nazis and and, um this band of playing this show and generally in the beginning they're they're kind of nonchalant about it and then when they get there they're like oh fuck like we underestimated this this is a a lot of nazis here so they kind of took that whole thing and they felt extremely uncomfortable and we felt that we felt uncomfortable with them and i think that is something that is just beautiful yeah and it it just anton yelchin rest in peace but anton yelchin does such a good job or did such a good job at portraying emotion because it's it's something about him that he just has a sad face and <laughs> yeah like it, like does. like his like you know what i mean oh like, he for like, sure does like he just he's he in everything he plays he always just seems sad and i even when he's happy i'm just like are you genuinely happy like <laughs> like are you just putting this on you know right. we can't so tell it, right and I think this fit his role very, very well. And I think this was one of his last roles before his passing. Um, And I just think this is just, man, it it was either this or Fright Night, maybe? No, because I think Fright Night came out a couple years prior to this. Star Trek? reboot. Into Darkness? Mm, Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, this here is just, I don't know. I thought that he really portrayed this character very very well and it's funny because the film starts off showing him in the beginning and we kind of get that sense that okay he's going to be our final boy or whatever right right but 
I love the tropes that are within this film, and we'll we'll break them down for sure. But let's go ahead and jump into the plot, man, because I'm ready to talk about this movie. So down. Green Room, A24, directed by Jeremy Salnier. I, I feel like I'm butchering that, but it's okay. Released April 15th, 2016, a runtime of one hour and 35 minutes, a budget of $5 million, and a box office of $3.8 million, with a score of 91%. On wow. Rotten Tomatoes. 91%. That's huge. On Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I I watched this movie, and I think it deserves this, but when I really, truly think about it, it feels like everyone else wouldn't agree. <laughs> I agree. I really think yeah. that this movie is very genre-specific to a certain type of viewer, so I'm yeah. surprised a huge round of... View, I mean, uh, critics were able to actually give this a really good score because I feel like a lot of people would be turned off by this movie. Right. For its contents. Like, it's an intense movie. It's I, super intense. Yeah. Super duper intense. And but, I, like, it, it's almost borderline, like, torture porn. <laughs> like, close like, to it, it, yeah. Like, it is getting close. Like, if they would have shown us every virtue of every person getting initially mutilated this would definitely be more of the torture porn esque era. But I think the reason that they didn't, or the, the fact that they didn't show all of that probably helped this score quite a bit. I'm sure. I'm sure. But, yeah. Cause this, it, I mean, it, it's obviously it's certified fresh, but on top of that being certified fresh, it's tw- 237 critics. Wow. Uh, rated this film and it got 91%. And that's, that's fucking insane to me. That is wild. But I, I accept it. <laughs> I am so happy we'll take that it. it got that. I will definitely take it and run with it very fast all the way to the bank. <laughs> I would definitely run with it. But we open straight to the title card, which I also think is very, very, very classy. Right. <laughs> straight to the title card and one of our protagonists, Pat, waking up in his van. He looks out of the window and notices that they are in a cornfield and we get an aerial shot of their car veered off into the field. Pat tries to wake up his friend um, who is in the passenger seat, Sam, um, and Reese wakes up and ask what's wrong and Sam wakes up Tiger who is who was the person driving Tiger asks if they crashed and he tells them that um and uh Pat tells him that he guessed it um and I love how Tiger is just like oh I must have fallen asleep you're like yeah no right. fucking shit <laughs> <laughs> Pat looks at the car gauges and tells him that with the engine running noticing that it's all the tank is also empty Sam's phone is vibrating and it's fully charged he asks Tiger if he killed the battery too but he mentions that the radio is still playing it's like the radio's still playing, isn't it? And right off the bat, I love the sense of this dynamic. Oh yeah! And you just know, like, oh, these dudes are just really cool friends. Like, yeah. it's very in, uh... in the beginning, you kind of don't know what they're doing. Like, you don't know their bandmates right off the bat, but mm-hmm. they tell they we get the sense very soon. They get out of the car, taking the gear out. Uh, taking their gear out. Sam tells them that there is a skating rink 11 miles from, from where they are. Damn it. They fucking rode a bike 11 miles. Eesh. Not too bad. And they rode it back. That's true. And they like, they, they rode 22 miles and one with a full gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do like, what you gotta do. 
Yeah, fuck, dude. Fat asks if it is ice skating or roller skating, but she tells him that uh, they are just open and uh, what doesn't, why does it matter? Reese mentions that hockey players whoop more ass. Tiger rebuttals telling him that he's seen some pretty badass roller skaters. And this is what I actually love about this movie. It does comedy relief in such a unique way. Yeah. It's not slapstick. It's not really in your face like this is supposed to be a funny. You should laugh at this. It's very dark. Yeah. It's very with the scene and it feels very nurtured and real. That's and, exactly the right word to say is real. This movie is very grounded, although very gritty. You can tell that this movie is very subtle throughout and even how they react to situations is kind of like real reactions to those type of situations. And in the situation that they're in, they they need gas. They have to go to this uh, skating rink. They don't know what kind, but they kind of throw in that little jab. It's like, oh, uh, hockey players will fuck us up if we get caught. It's like, I don't know. I've seen some pretty messed up roller skaters before, too. And like you said, it's not like to be out laugh out loud funny, but it's the type of humor you would have a normal conversation with friends with. Right. And it just shows their dynamic, how close they are. And they've probably exactly. been in these type of situations before too, which is great. Right? Yeah, they definitely have because, like, he 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 knows the it, Pat knew exactly what the fuck he was doing. Like, oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, Pat is grabbing out of his bike and bag. Sam tells them that it is seven a.m. and uh, she will go with him. Cut to them riding down the road on Pat's bike. Sam taking a picture of the scenery that they are riding uh, that they are riding through. They get to the parking lot, sneaking towards the cars to siphon some gas. Back with the van, they push it out onto the road, and they are on their way. And I love the cinematography too, especially with this type of lighting. Like I love how they utilize slow motion. Oh, for sure in this movie, because it, it just feels it feels it feels warranted. Yeah, because like you, th- this is the type of movie that de- technically doesn't need it, but when we see it, it's beautiful. Right, it enhances like, the scene rather than takes away from the action right. or what's going on. And right. like I give it a hand to um, the color grading in this as well. We Beautiful, got a lot yeah. of um, greens and yellows, kind of like a David Fincher yeah. film. And we get some really great cinematography in here, too, like you were just saying. The way like it tracks uh, the van while it's driving, their location, and how it kind of moves around the location itself to see where they're located. Um, it's really good use of the camera. And like you said, really great use of slow motion. It's very gorgeous. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but this movie, although very grounded, it's also like dreamlike in a way. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love how it switches. Right. In that color grading when shit hits the fan. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. I love that. Cut to Tad sitting down texting the band Ain't Right on his appearance of him having a mohawk so they can find him. The band pulls up to him and uh, they make sure. So they like do that little call out to each other like right. Tad, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, he hands them keys. And he hands him keys to his place and he gives them a brief introduction of on where they're going to be staying. Shares that he works nights and tells them uh, where they can hide their stuff. Sam agrees and looks over at Reese, giving him a, a yeah, um, sending them on their way towards Tad's place. Cut to cut to them at Tad's place. Looking at all his shit, Sam finding bags on, uh, of mushrooms on the table. Tiger commenting that uh, he is a legit punk fan. Uh, and Reese makes fun of, of uh, commenting on his hair. Tiger grabs a vinyl, telling him that uh, he is true. While Sam <laughs> grabs beers, throwing one at Reese. I, I like I. 
more on their dynamic. They're just they're, right. they're just they're buds. You know, they're just yeah. they're just really good friends. Um I love how like Tad is just totally cool with just letting these random ass fucking people into his house. Right. So, like, I mean all right. I feel like it's part of like the community of like the hardcore rock I don't know area where it's like, uh, oh yeah. I used to be in the same position as you. I used to play instruments or I do this for radio or whatever he does for a living. He's like, I probably have all of these bands come over and stay at my place. It seems like it's a very open relationship towards that type of community with the hard rock community and stuff like that. I mean, there definitely are some bands I know for sure that, uh, that have done like couch surfing and and stuff like that from uh, uh, when they're on tour and stuff like that. And utilizing um, aspects of like, like, yeah, I'll do an interview if you let me crash at your place kind of thing. Um, and that's what this probably was. Right. Like, yeah, I'll totally do an interview if you let me crash at your place and if you find us a venue so we can make some cash. Exactly. And that's, that's, that probably was definitely their deal for sure. Um, but super interesting. Super interesting. She asks him who was calling, and she reminds him that she gets the cell phone bills. Pat lets them know uh, that he is going to bed while Sam responds that they are going to drink, and Tiger started to record, or starting the record. The static of the record is playing. When Pat wakes up the next day, he goes over um, He goes over to it, turning the uh, record off. While cleaning up the beer cans, he answers the door for Tad. He gives um, <laughs> he gives Pat a good morning, then asks him uh, if he was the first one to fall asleep with a smirk. Pat is in the bathroom trying his best to wash off the inky mess on his face. This is so fun. It's just like, oh, first one, to, first one down. Here we go. Right. Go to Tad sitting down with the band, starting a recorder uh, for his interview. He tells his recorder that he is uh, with the Ant, Ant Rights from Washington D.C. Sam corrects him while smoking a cigarette, saying that they are technically from Arlington. Tad says uh, that this is for Seaside HCFM. Confused, Tiger asks if this is for the magazine. Uh, Tad shares that he will make a print version, but this one is for their college station, asking them if that's cool. And Sam uh, giving him the okay. Reese doesn't seem too impressed at this point, but he doesn't say anything. Tad asks if they are uh, working on anything new. Sam tells him that they are uh, working on a few songs, enough for a seven inch vinyl. And um, I I like this too. Like I like how, how they, completely are just talking musical jargon right right where um you kind of if you're not really into music i guess like you 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 kind of have to decipher what they're talking about um because they don't say she doesn't say vinyl she says just a seven inch and it's just like you kind of have to like think about what they're talking about so it's pretty cool on how they don't spoon feed the audience Right. On what they're talking about. They're very, very much in tuned into their vernacular and the way they they talk. And it, you either get it or you don't. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's one of those things that takes away from it being an actual movie from being something that's more realistic. And this is actually right. the conversation they would have with someone that's asking questions about their music because it's right. tailored to that type of audience. And we're just mm-hmm. along for the ride. And kind of like you said, as a viewer who doesn't know too much stuff or terminology towards music industry and bands and band culture and the music industry as a whole, they might not mm-hmm. get it, but at the same time, that's not part of the plot that's going to be driven the most. So it's kind of like right. stick around for the conversation afterwards. We'll get to the main stuff. And I have to give it to the movie though. It's really, really well edited from this oh, it's point. Beautifully edited. Um, like, Oh my God. Yeah. 
even like the way like they get to the house and then they play the record and it just immediately cuts to them waking up to them saying, Oh, you were the first one falling asleep, and it cuts immediately right. to him in front of the mirror. All of these scenes kind of reminds me of like Edgar Wright. Oh yeah. It's very fast paced cutting. And it's making the scenes go by really, really quick. And that's for mm-hmm. the first half of this movie. At the second half, it slows down, which is really cool. Because it's like, we're going right. to get you to the destination, and then you're going to see what happens. So it's really good storytelling. Yeah, I agree. He asks if they will press one, and Reese speaks up, saying if they can afford it. But Tad continues digging the analog style. When Reese says, uh, when Reese says this, Pat looks at him in both concern and agreement. And it's just that it's just that Anton Yelchin face, man. Tad tells them that they are hard to find, then asks why don't they have any social media presence. And I love this aspect because this gives us a context clue in retrospect as to later, as to nobody technically knowing where they are. They're doing everything kind of by word of mouth, which is very, very intriguing. Reese says that booking more shows, selling more records will blow. Um, Tiger chimes in um, that it's not hard rock. Then uh, Pat says that they don't want to – of course they don't want to starve, but you lose the texture when you take it virtual. Tad uh, asks him what what does he mean. He says says that you have to be there, and music music is for the effect with time and aggression. Pat continues uh, that it is shared live, and then it is over. The energy can't last. I love that. I love that yeah. concept of how he pictures music. I don't agree, but I love that concept <laughs> of how he pictures music. Right. <laughs> it's a good um, perspective for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Sam slightly chimes in saying, unless you're Iggy Pop, causing Pat to quickly say that um, he doesn't want to be uh, in his 70s still listening to Minor Threat. Reese jokes that Tiger does, and Tiger jokes um, that he won't live to be 70, which is another wonderful context clue <laughs> that's true yeah Damn. tad scoffs oh go ahead freddie what's no, up no, i was literally about to say like yeah no good call out i didn't really get that until yeah. now it's pretty dark yeah, yeah super dark <laughs> tad scoffs move into a new segment asking them uh to name their desert island band and, it, and it's interesting though right because you what that sense with um uh, Reese, what he or Tiger, what he was meaning is you know live young, die fast, kind of thing, right? Right. So like, and that's that's kind of how he, I guess, ended his life too. It's oh man, it's such a fucked up, <laughs> such a fucked up movie. This oh man, I love this movie. Tiger asked for clarification by asking if they could choose one. He nods his head. Then Reese asks for more clarification. Tad tells him that uh, there are no caveats and suggests name the band. Sam shakes her head, um, and Tiger names Misfits and changes it to The Damned. Sam adds Poison Idea. Reese Cromax. He looks at Pat, telling him uh, to say say something. While Sam looks back at him, um, waiting for an answer. They're all pressuring, uh, uh, pressuring him and making fun of him uh, to give it, to give an answer. But instead, he asks Tad if he can edit it or edit this out. He tells him that he can chop it up a bit. And Sam asks, uh, when will it air and wonders if they should plug the show. Tad pauses uh, his recorder and tells the group that uh, his last show at the Muni Center didn't end well. Lots of vomit and some fecal matter. What the fuck happened at that show? I know that could have been a movie on its own. Seriously, that was probably the actual comedy version of this movie, like some Project X type shit. 
the county commissioner uh, took his permit away, saying that they uh, were already en route. Reese doesn't uh, doesn't agree and says that he has to give them a kill fee. Sam adding that they went 90 miles out of their way to come here. Tad shares that he has uh, a backup a backup lined up for them, letting them know that there will there will be lunch, fifty percent cut at the door, and they would headline. Sam asks if anybody else is still in the bill, and he says, "Nope." <laughs> we jump to them playing their punk show inside of a diner. It's so funny. I love that right. jump cut to them just playing at the diner and just like some people are into it, some people are just trying to eat their food. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, you get to the point that they drove 90 miles to get out there and they end up playing out a diner with maybe like 10 people. It's so sad. Right. Man. Yeah, it's 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 super sad. And it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. It's a more comedic relief before stuff happens, which is also showing like right. the dynamic of the band. They're like, they're going to play anyways because they're there. They're very professional about it. But at the same time, they're like, fuck this. This is terrible. Yeah. I mean, they're also playing too because they need money, right? Right. So, yeah, it's it's all super interesting. They finish their set and Sam is counting their money and it ain't much. Tad comes out saying uh, that he gave them his cut and he got and he had to give the uh, venue their cut and he gave and he um, got their cut. But Sam cuts him off saying that they have six dollars each when they split it four ways. He makes a smart remark saying that they actually have six eighty seven and eight and eighty eight if they want to round up. <laughs> dick reese runs up and pushes him to the wall but everyone tells him to take it easy and that they don't want to add going to jail to their list of things pat tells him that he just ended this tour and tiger agrees telling him uh for them to call it sam lets them know that they will have to shoot straight back to dc and that they have enough for uh for um what uh, they have enough in their tank for now and we'll have to siphon more the rest of the way reese t- uh, takes tad's food telling him that at least they have rice and beans <laughs> Man, love it. Um, it's interesting this whole aspect of now us realizing that okay, they're low on cash. They well, they don't have any cash at all. It sounds like, and on top of them not having any money, like even if you go back to Sam asking. Uh, Reese, who is he talking to? They probably don't have a limited minutes that they're paying for. They're probably paying for a set amount of uh, time frame and things like that to talk on the phone. And it's super interesting for us to know where it's just like, you know, they're trying really hard to make their dream come true. Oh, for sure. And they're doing whatever they can to do this. And I, I remember listening to an interview of um, of this guy in a, a band. His name's Garrett. Um, and the band's name is um, Silent Planet. And it's one of my favorite, uh, uh, I guess, metal bands in a way. But they, they're they pretty big now. They're okay now. They're doing all right now. But beforehand, he would say that like they would literally call restaurants and, and tell them like, hey, we're a band. We don't wear low on cash. Do you mind if you – like do you have any vouchers or anything like that that we can do? And – they would do this at like Chipotle and get like free Chipotle burritos and stuff like that. Um, and that's how they would survive. And it's it's crazy how uh, they had to do that. So this this kind of hit a little bit home for me to because it made me kind of think of that and think of how Garrett and his band had to deal with this kind of stuff. But um, 
I don't know if Garrett ever listens to this, but shouts out to Garrett and Silent Planet. <laughs> uh, Pat plan, uh, plans that they can head up north and take 80 all the way while Reese throws Tiger the food. Tad t- uh, tells him uh, to let him call his cousin and uh, he can get them an actual solid gig. Sam asks him where, and he tells, uh, he tells her that the scene is dead and um, they will have to be closer to Portland. And I love the context of Oregon. Right. Being like the home for like the neo Nazis, because uh, you you know about like Oregon and the history of Oregon, right? Oh yeah, for sure, and it's still pretty yeah. relevant now. I would say, yeah, yeah, it is. Portland's yeah. pretty chill, but um, going in and around it and in other spots, I, I definitely, I definitely got some looks when I was going to Portland um, when I was passing through because we were driving. And obviously, I'm in an interracial relationship, so we definitely got some looks. We did not feel comfortable stopping at a one restaurant that we did stop at. So, yeah, it yeah. was interesting. So, yeah, we, we definitely were uncomfortable. So we actually ended up, you know, just kind of eating really quick and dipping on out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was that was definitely interesting. Um they were waiting in their van for Tad, and he comes down the stairs letting them know that everything is all set, and they have a matinee tomorrow. Doors open at 1, and their set is at 3, letting them, uh, letting them know that he will text them the address. Sam skips to the point, asking him how much, and he tells her $350 minus their tab. She looks back at Pat in, in acceptance, but Tad warns them that they are mostly a boots and braces um, uh, type of crowd out there. And once again, you either know what he's talking about or you don't. Right. And that's true. It's it's I love that. I love that. Um, Tiger comments that uh, uh, so they see skins at every show. Once again, you either know or you don't. But obviously they're talking about um, the Aryan Brotherhood or skinheads. Pat asks him uh, what kind DMS or sharp. And I don't I don't understand this terminology here. That That's a little too too deep for me personally, because. I'm a black kid. Why would I look that up? Um, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. So, like, I I don't really understand that terminology. But hey, I'm sure it, it is something something bad. intense. Yeah, yeah, something intense and bad. Uh, Tad says right wing or technically ultra left, but uh, he's not affiliated. He asked Tad if his cousin is cool, and he tells him that if he, as long as they don't talk politics, uh, but to stick with his cousin Daniel. Um, yeah, it's a no for me, Doc. He lets them know that he would uh, tag along, but Daniel and his girlfriend are coming uh, there to crash and needs a place to clean up. <sighs> so I love, I love that. I I really really love that because, um, it's interesting because I I don't I don't know how retroactively thinking about this. If and you might be able to help me with this one. Okay. Did he go to Tad's place first, or did he go to, or was he supposed to go to Tad's place after? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I think it was after. I think he was supposed to be after because we get that ending shot of Tad cleaning his apartment. That's true. Yeah. So I, I think it's supposed to be after. Yeah, that's a good and call I think out. Tad, I think Tad was because they were going to leave that night. Right. Obviously, they aren't that far. They're probably what maybe an hour away. We can say, so hmm. like I think, yeah, I, I think, think after they, yeah, I think it was supposed to be after. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, ugh, damn, 
Fuck, that makes it. Oh man, retroactively speaking. So, all right, I'm glad we cleared that up because I, I was very confused on that. Um, Sam asked if they are if if they aren't burning crosses or anything that they will just play rock. He he suggests that they uh probably should play their heavier stuff and earlier stuff. Um, he hands him a paper and asks if he can still run the interview. And Sam tells him that he can. Asking what station, he said he'll play on FM eighty five point five. Breakfast with Champions. Reese apologizes for uh, almost fucking him up, <laughs> and uh, Ted tells him that it isn't a problem and wishes them well. They are driving down the road and they are looking at the poster that Tad drew, passing it around. Reese looks at Pat with a serious look and mentions that he wants to tell him something that he has never told anyone before. He proceeds to fart causing everybody to, in the van to erupt in laughter they're probably the only slapsticky thing in this right. movie we transition to them having a bonfire in audible enjoying each other's company and just once again just i love their camaraderie uh they are driving to their destination and they make it to a mud uh to a mud surrounded warehouse where a bunch of skinheads are outside their cars and to right off the bat you get the vibes dog like, oh for you're sure just like you're in it i yeah, like I don't feel safe for them. Like exactly, you can yeah. you can definitely tell that Pat is probably Jewish, and Sam also looks Jewish. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, like they said earlier, too. It's like they've played for some before. This is like all of them. This or is like, all. Yeah, this is like get out. Like turn the van around. I'm good. Three three fifty. Nah, you don't get paid three fifty to like play for a crowd like that. I'm good. Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. Daniel comes up to the car asking if uh, they are Tad's friends, and they all jump out of the car. And Sam tells him that Tad sent them, asking him um, if he is uh, cousin Dan. He immediately corrects her and mentions that uh, they look hammered. Now, before we keep going, do you know where Daniel is from? Daniel, the character. Mm-hmm. The character Daniel. I don't know. He is Steven Stills from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh. He, he looks so different, right? It's so funny <laughs> because when you said where he's from, it's like, oh, did they say his location of where he lived? No, no, like, no, no, no. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so... Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I mean, yeah, he's right? way different in this movie. <laughs> way different. But, yeah. Way, way, way different. Um... Tiger tells him that the uh, that one night at Tad's will do that to you, and he is uh, um, about to say something about Daniel's girlfriend, but Daniel grabs him by the neck and tells him to not mention that. In, re- in retrospect, we understand why. He tells him to shut the fuck up about Tad, um, him and her, Tiger, and Tiger agrees. Gabe comes up asking for the drummer for, of the group. Pat shakes his head and he isn't, uh, that he isn't. And then he goes up to Reese asking him if he is going to use his set or the house kit. He points where the load in is and then heads back inside. Uh, the group notices the marquee um, having their band's name wrong and Sam calling it bullshit. And, it, and it's not necessarily wrong. It's just proper grammar. Right. It's, uh, and, and I feel like that's something that they really are very proud of is being grammatically correct right. and things like that. And, and um, even though they're, they're, they all aren't, but th- that's something that they seem pretty proud of, including Daniel, because he wouldn't allow her to call him, call him Dan or anything like that. Um, and same thing, like when they talked to everybody else, it was like full name basis. It was Jonathan, 
Alan. It was no Al. It was no John. Um, it was, yeah. So it, it was very, probably Gabe is the only one, but Gabe looks like he was born as Gabe, not as Gabriel. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, uh, it's interesting. It's a good call out. Um, they, and I think it was just, instead of ain't, ain't right, it was, I was like, ain't right or aren't right. Or something like that. I think that's what it was changed to. They continue getting their getting out of their van, co- commenting on the name, and Pat looks back at Daniel as he gives him the most sinister of looks. Cut to them inside, moving their shit in and heading to backstage towards the green room. Gabe tells him to not block the hallway because the owner doesn't fuck around with the fire codes and that they uh, have their sound check in 15, then they are on in 20. Sam lets him uh, lets him. Uh, let's him know that they got it and they head inside the uh, the room, closing the door behind them. I love that Sam is the leader of the group. Yeah, I think that's dope as shit. I think that's awesome. Like, she is so fucking cool. Um, it sucks what happens to her, but she's cool. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Pat yeah. asks Tiger uh, if he's okay and, if he, and he tells him that he is fine. Sam comments on him, um, on them all being creeps while plugging in their phone to charge. And Dude, like the Nazi paraphernalia around the room is Sketch. just as scary as the people. Oh, for sure. Like, and I, I'm curious to think, like, maybe it's because we are fortunate enough to where we don't have to see that kind of stuff. Um, Very so, true. Like, I mean, we, we do live in a pretty liberal place in California. So we. Yeah. When we see something like that, it's kind of like they're the minority and we're the we're the majority. So oh, for sure, yeah, it's, it's not it's like uh, the San Francisco Bay Area at all. But at right. the same time, this is to an extreme too. It's everywhere. They're like right. showing it on purpose too. Even with the camera movements, they cut a lot to the posters and stuff like that. And you see them surrounded inside that green room with paraphernalia of right. all of it. And I'm just like, damn. Even them being like non people of color feel uncomfortable and we can see that in their face too and that's right. when they come up with that crazy idea i'm like no you don't do that you don't do that but we'll cover it right now <laughs> they grab some beers while they comment about them uh running a tight ship here and tiger changing it to uh it's like it's more like a u-boat and i love that mm. i love how like he switches it to that nazi reference right. in world war world war ii uh pat looks at the confederate flag on the wall and uh he tells his band that he has a dumb idea <laughs> Got to them on stage doing their sound check. Pat looks at the crowd and changes his mind on the dumb idea, but Sam tells him that it was his idea, and if he backs out now, he's gonna, she's going to tell him that he's Jewish. Well, fuck. Yes, there's <laughs> no turning back now. Um, have you ever heard of that one show, Hate Thy Neighbor? I've heard of it. Don't know what it is. It's, it's about a guy. It's a documentary on Vice uh, of okay. a man named Jamali Maddox, and Jamali is a black man from the UK and um, he goes around to these just sketchy ass areas to talk to people about why they hate someone for their race or for the way they talk or whatever. And the very first episode is about Nazis and it was scary. And this movie reminds me of that situation that he was placed in because he was just like yeah i don't feel safe here but like i'm intrigued at the same time as to why why wow yeah i have so to check it out it, 
I have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's very intense, man. I think that first episode's available on YouTube, so definitely check it out. But it's very relevant to this movie. Hmm. They introduce themselves and start playing their song, Nazi Punks Fuck Off. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. <laughs> you know what? Shit! I have to say, I'm pretty sure I've seen this movie before. A long time ago, probably when it first came out. So this is my second time watching this movie, too. Do oh, not, you think so? Do not remember this scene at all. <laughs> And it gave me such nervous vibes throughout the entire song. You just see everyone's face change on the crowd. like Throwing shit. Yeah, no, they were digging the music when they first started. They're like, hell yeah, hell yeah. They're like nodding their head and they start hearing the lyrics. They're like, wait, what? Oh, man. <laughs> and it's funny because like they just kept going. Yeah. They're just like, fuck it, let's just, let's just rock through this shit and let's get through it. And, and, and the thing about punk songs in general, they're kind of short. Oh, for sure. So like, it's just like, that was like a, probably like, maybe a 45 second to a minute song. And it reminds me once again, it reminds me a lot of uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. You read my mind of that one song. It's like, so, we're very, very sad. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's super interesting, but um, they continue to get their, get shit thrown at them. Middle fingers, drinks spat at them. And you can see the fear in Pat's eyes. And uh, as he's looking at worm, right? Like worms walking across the room and he's right. like, like, I'm a, fucking kill you and like Pat's just like why why did we even sign up to this in the crowd there are two girls one lighting a cigarette for the other while Daniel hands uh, her a hands one of them a wad of cash uh, she slips it in her pocket while Gabe watches from the other side of, of the uh, crowd and I love it because you sent you get a sense later as to what he slipped into the pocket into her pocket right and uh, it's Emily right he slipped it into Emily's pocket Ain't Right's finishing their song, Tiger joking that uh, it was a cover. Once again, the jokes in this movie, fantastic. He was like, thank you, that was a cover. Uh, <laughs> while the crowd tells him to fuck off, then asking Sam what should they play next. She suggests uh, Coronary, and they begin. The crowd is fucking digging it, though. They're like, yeah, yeah all right, not good. Go. Yeah. But then the movie does the most beautifulest shit in the entire world. While they play, we get the change of their song to where it changed to the musical score of the film. And as they play, we see the crowd just go vibing and the camera just goes nice and slow. Yeah. Slow motion. Everyone is having a really good time. And that is so beautiful. Like it is, it's such a well done thing in this movie to me. Yeah. It's a perfect transition from something that was super suspenseful, super tense building to something like, let me slow it down for you real quick. Let's go back yeah. to what's really going on. They're here for the music. They're here for the the um, concert. And you see right. everyone in slow dancing movements of just doing a mosh pit, nodding their head, throwing their hands in the air. And the camera just moves rad. throughout the, like, the whole entire crowd. It's gorgeous to look at. And yeah. like you said, yeah. slow motion did not need to be there, but it enhanced the entire like scene itself. Of like, okay. It was perfect for this movie. Like, oh, it just, for sure. It worked. It worked. We cut to Gabe going into the back, handing some money to uh, Big Justin, and he starts to count it. The man is walking in um, in the back, seeing all their shit outside the green room. Sam asking Big Justin uh, what happened to Fire Code. He quickly apologizes, telling them that they uh, needed to make room for the headliner. Tiger asks if it's uh, if it is for Cowcatcher, and he tells them yeah. Then says that they need to clear out while heading uh, while handing Sam their share of their cash. They are grabbing their things, and Justin tells them to follow him. Sam notices that she doesn't have her phone and tells them that she uh, will catch up with them after grabbing it from the room Ugh. and 
I love how this was the mistake that set the whole shit off. Right. I love it. Pat tells uh, Pat tells her that he got her, and he heads back into the room for her, knocking and excusing himself. He unplugs the phone and takes a quick glance inside the room. One of the women, Amber, um, has a face of terror as she looks at him while two men stare at him. Pat uh, notices that another girl, Emily, is dead on the floor with a pocket jammed into her head. Damn. A pocket knife is jammed into her head. Ugh. And... It's crazy because, like you said, this movie is so grounded that she was not profusely bleeding. Right. It was just a little bit because it was jammed that far into her head. <laughs> so dark. God damn. Amber asks him uh, to call the cops while another man tell, uh, tells her to fuck that. <laughs> Justin runs back into the room yelling for Pat to get out of the, uh, the green room saying that he told, he told him to follow him. Pat immediately makes a phone call to 911 and yells for uh, his mates to go while Justin tries to stop them. While they are running out, Gabe comes into the hallway, grabbing the phone away from Pat. He looks at Justin and he tells him that he didn't lock the door. Gabe tells uh, tells them to not talk, don't touch them, and to stay put and that he, um, it is fine. If, it's funny because it makes it seem like Gabe is like this high up person. Right. But in reality, he's lower than Justin because he yeah. doesn't even have red laces. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Sam asks him uh, what the fuck happened, and he tells her uh, to give him a minute concluding with uh, something terrible. And it's just like, what do you do in that situation, you know? Gabe walks out of the venue and into a bungalow across the way, then shortly walks back in, uh, back to the venue. He comes back into the hallway with a gun. Everyone is nervous and scared, but he tells them uh, that it is fine and to go back into the green room. The phone starts to ring and is 911 on the other line, but he doesn't answer right away, commanding everyone to head back inside the room. Once in the room, they all notice the dead body on the floor. Justin is yelling at one of the guitarists about them not locking the door, but Gabe yells for them to be quiet so he can answer the phone. He tells the operator that he got that they got cut off and he was calling uh, to report a stabbing while opening the door and leaving them all behind. Amber is crying from the situation while everyone just stands around. Pat notices the man Worm who spat his beer while making eye contact with him from the crowd earlier. Gabe comes back into the room. Justin asking if he uh, if he called Darcy. He tells him that he knows about the dead body, but not uh, not the others who saw it. Reese tells him that he can't keep them here and uh, that he has to let them go. Gabe uh, lets him know that uh, he is not keeping them here. Excuse me, he's not keeping them here, but they are they are just staying. Handing the gun to Justin, um, saying that he is up. Tiger tries to ask, what does that mean? But Gabe yells for uh, all of them to relax, and the cops are coming, leaving out, uh, leaving out of the room and Justin locking the door behind him. Amber springs onto Worm, hitting him, shouting for him to uh, look at what he did and telling them, uh, telling her to chill out while Justin calmly agrees. Cut to Gabe back inside the bungalow. Clark asks if Darcy is there, and Gabe tells him that he hasn't made it yet, but he needs $600 cash. He tells him that he just signed out $350. Gabe tells him um, that he knows, but now someone is actually dead. Clark counts out the cash and tells him that they still need to keep track of their books. Then they leave out of the bungalow, locking it behind them. He asks Gabe what else does he need and sarcastically asks um, for a true believer. Clark suggesting him having two. Damn. The way they have this shit just kind of thought out 
Yeah, they, is uh, also extremely scary. <laughs> so it's sadistic, but they have like contingency plans. It's like, oh, if this ever happens, we have a plan for it. We have the exact amount of money that we have to take out for it. And it's shocking how easily they make this happen so quickly, too. It's like, oh, right. maybe they have done this before. Maybe not the exact same way, but they I mean, had they sell, to do they this. They sell heroin, too, right? That's true. So, right. Like the, the fact that we know that they sell drugs as well and them being able to sell this dope and use this venue as a way to launder their money and clean it. So for their taxes, it's an, it's it's a smart business. You know, it's a, Exactly. It's a foolproof business. You can so, tell they know what they're doing, too. They're very um, entrepreneurship. Darcy, in a way. Yeah. Darcy had another business as well on the side of this. Yeah, so they had multiple aspects of being able to uh, utilize this uh, this venue and, and if shit hits the fan initially. Because they know at the end of the day they're dealing with a rough crowd. Oh, for so, sure. I mean, it's their crowd. Right. So they know how their crowd gets down. They know what happens when their crowd gets angry. So they have to have these contingency plans to, mm. you know, be able to cover their asses, which is why Darcy came up with this fucking elaborate ass plan. It was elaborate as all hell. Right. Like, like it, it legit didn't need to be this elaborate. They could have just probably gone in and popped those foos and it would have been done. But the fact that he needed this to be so elaborate to where his people don't get in trouble. Right. Then there you go. Back with the two bands inside the green room, Sam theorizing that the woman might not be dead. One of the band uh, bandmates scoffs, and Sam mentions that there isn't a lot of blood. But before she continues, Worm goes up to the body, pulling Emily by the knife in her head. So dark. Dude, I've never seen something this vicious before. Right, because... She's like a rag doll to him at this point because right. he's just grabbing the knife, pulling it, and it's so deep inside her that he's pulling the body with it, not like taking the knife out immediately. Yeah. It's, oh man. Jesus Christ. One of the, uh, <laughs> everyone starts groaning and gasping. Justin asking him uh, what he is doing. Then Worm forcefully pulls out the knife, telling Sam, Oh, look, there's blood. Fuck, dude. Sick. Everyone starts to shudder. Amber getting lightheaded. Um, Reese tells his crew that they um, have to go and they need to go now. Tiger goes up to Justin telling him that they didn't see shit and they are drunk. Justin calmly tells him um, just to wait and the cops are uh, on their way. Meanwhile, Gabe is outside telling these twins to stab one another. <laughs> So asking crazy. them um, if they need him to, and asking him if they need him to do it, he'll do it. They tell him, "Nope." Sharing that this is this isn't the first time the black coat twin stab lovingly grabs the back of his brother's neck and proceeds to stab him twice, while the the sirens can be heard in the background. Gabe asking asking to see the knife. He lets them know uh, that uh, it is an inch too long or too short for felony possession, so mm. he doesn't have to uh, worry about. Um, worry about that, but uh, he stops, then asks for the money back, telling him that they would hold it for them. They uh, they give it to they give it back to him, and then he shares. Uh, he does if they do any time, they'll double it. The cops pull in, and Gabe instructs them to uh, go talk to them. A female officer asking him if he is the victim. He tells her that he is, and he and she demands for people or for both. Uh, for them to kneel down with their ankles crossed. Behind them uh, comes a gray van. Um, out uh, comes the owner, Darcy. Gabe letting the cops know he is uh, uh, who he is and sharing that he called him as well. 
Darcy tells them to give them some room to work, and the cops ask if he's the owner, and he tells uh, her that he is. Back at the room, Justin holding the gun in uh, in his hand while the others just sit and wait. Gabe knocks on the door, and Justin unlocks it. He calls for the uh, cow catcher to leave. Now, the most interesting thing about the whole cops being there and stuff like that um, is how much this group utilizes their privilege. Oh, for sure. Right? Like they, they really hammer down on them having white privilege and that being the um, catalyst that will allow them to get out of this mess. Because even, even later on, like you, you hear, you hear uh, uh, Darcy say some pretty fucked up shit about black people and, oh, for and sure. yeah. framing them and, and stuff like that. Right. So super interesting how they utilize that as they, as, it's interesting, but it's not shocking. No, of course. And it should it it should be, you know, like, like yeah. it's something that should be shocking, but it's not. And, and that and uh, and it's so nonchalant in this movie, and it's so nonchalant to us. Yeah, he does it a few times in this film, and it's kind of hard hearing it, especially coming from like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> you don't really yeah. expect that to come out of his mouth, and I'm like, whoa, right. this is different than yeah. any other character you've ever played before. But he plays yeah. a, such a pivotal role in this movie of being like the mastermind behind this whole entire drug ring essentially and associating yeah. it with like oh yeah we're not really related to the drug the drug is more related to those type of people stuff like that mm -hmm. and it, it's fascinating but also like horrifying to hear but at the oh, same yeah. time like you said it's like it's probably not too far off the mark of what happens in reality which is sad right yeah it is pat asks where the cops are and tiger asking uh what about them um amber asks uh, what is he doing? And Gabe tells her that they are sorting it out and hang tight. Worm is about to leave, but he t he looks back at Pat, telling him that uh, their set was pretty good. He moves closer to him, intimidatingly asking him what was the name of their second-to-last song. He hesitantly tells Worm the name of the song, To Toxic Evolution. Worm tells him that it was fucking hard, man. <laughs> and that is... And, and he continues saying, that was the one that I did her to. Man. Wow. Pat doesn't say anything. Rather, he holds his breath until he leaves out of the room, catching his uh, uh, until he leaves out of the room, and then he catches his breath. Justin shuts the door. Reese goes over him, having six bullets, and if they all go at him at go at him at once, but Tiger tells him uh, to hold tells him to hold on for a sec. Justin points out uh, points the gun at him. Sam yelling that they haven't done anything. Amber telling telling them that it doesn't matter. Justin educates them that uh, they are called cartridges, and the bullet is the part that goes into your brain if you keep talking shit. Dude, this scene was so good and so well written. The way he describes that gun is saying like, "No, it's not six uh, bullets; it's five because the bullets are so fucking big." I was like, "Holy crap, man!" The way he describes it, it's like seriously so scary. It's very haunting. It really is. Very, very haunting. He continues that the gun only has five cartridges, not six, because they are big as fuck and they only fit five in the cylinder. So good. Just a, just a clear sign to not fuck with him either, right? He then asks him to shut up and uh, don't test him, telling them to sit and wait. Amber questioning if they f will die. Justin confirming not if they sit and wait. Meanwhile, Darcy and Gabe are going through uh, the Ain't Rights van and uh, looking through Sam's phone, claiming that they just made the one call at uh, 911 at uh, 345 and them speaking to them at not 350, 347. 
or three forty five and three forty seven. Uh, Darcy, um, trying to understand, asked him to be clear, and he called the in to be clear and if he called them gabe tells him that they called back and he answered he asked gabe who else um knows they are here besides daniel's cousin um or daniel's cousin tad gabe tells him that there is a text from him with the address from last night but he doesn't know anything else darcy goes on letting him uh know that he he knows who they are uh where they are and maybe where they are supposed to be next he lets out a fuck and then commands him to check their emails. Clark shares that they play, uh, they're set to a crowd. Darcy adding that they will assume, um, that the online communities will know, um, and they are tracking that. And in retrospect, it's heartbreaking to know that they don't have an online presence. Right. Because it, that is something yeah. that probably could have saved their lives. They didn't believe in it. Yep. Damn. Clark asks for the phone from Gabe so he can wipe off the fingerprints from the phone. Gabe tries telling Darcy that he uh, was trying to buy some time and to contain this. Darcy questions him on containing the situation and letting him know that he appreciates his initiative, adding that they all love Worm. Gabe sharing that he is a brother. Darcy continues, Gabe might have uh, visited Worm in prison, making a difference, and now they are all in this mess based on his foolish actions and selfish impulsions. They go to uh, to the back of the truck, Darcy asking him if he sees a way out of this. Gabe confirms if he uh, is talking about the group, telling uh, telling him that he doesn't. Darcy lets him know that uh, they need to find one. Clark, continuing to dig through their bag, finds the tools of siph- for siphoning gas. Darcy telling, uh, telling them that this is good and they can use this. He asks Clark if he, is, if he has a no trespassing sign at, at the residence. He tells Darcy uh, that they have a beware of dog sign. Darcy sharing that's better than closing the door. Mm. We cut back to them in the green room. Tiger asking if anyone knows uh, they are there. Sam adding no one who cares questioning Tad. Fuck, man. And it's just I feel for them. Oh, for sure. I feel for them. Yeah, it's scary. Pat says that he's uh thinks um they should go. Reese getting up agreeing, walking towards Justin. Justin points the gun at them, about to say um if the if the next person moves, but gets cut off by Gabe knocking uh knocking asking if everyone is okay. Justin tells him just about, then calls out to him. Gabe tells him to open the door. The crew, including um Amber, are all crowded uh crowding in front of Justin. Pat asks uh, where the cops are, but Justin tells them to back off. Um, outside the door, Gabe is asked what's going on, Justin yelling that they are trying to run at him. Gabe commands uh, commands for him not to shoot them, and Justin uh, says that uh, that is on them. Pat ignores Justin, asking Gabe where the cops are. Gabe doesn't respond. Um, uh, excuse me. Gabe doesn't respond to them, but he demands Justin to give them the gun. Confused, he asks for clarification, and Gabe tells him that it is over. Justin responds that um, just, they just tried to run at him. <clears throat> Gabe yells for him uh, to take the bullets out and to not shoot them. Justin asks if Darcy is there, and he tells him he is. Darcy starts speaking, letting him know that uh, he is the letting them know that he is the owner. Justin murmuring while proceeding to take the bullets out of the gun. Darcy is apologizing about the situation and that he is playing catch up himself. Amber commenting that Cowcatcher is playing a show. Reese is sidestepping behind Justin while Pat gives his thanks, sharing that they uh, they open the door for the police um, or they keep the bullets, then changing it to the proper terminology. Um. 
and I, this is what I mean by the type of comedic relief that they have in this film. Right. It's perfect because that moment was supposed to be funny, but it's still a very intense moment. Right. Exactly. So they slide in the little humor of like speech and dialogue in a very suspenseful tension built situation. Exactly. And it flows perfectly because of it. Darcy tells him that he doesn't have any problems with that while Justin yells that he handed them the gun and he is uh, going to head out now. Reese is blocking the door telling him that he is not going to do that. Tiger commands to let him um, open the door and that uh, he gave them the gun. Justin repeats that he gave them the gun while uh, Darcy is on the other side asking how they are doing. Sam tells Pat to do the math knowing that they aren't going to let them go. Then asks Darcy uh, where the police are. And it's crazy. This is a fucking wild ass tactic. Uh, so they can have like legal terms to kill these people. Yeah. It's so smart. It's so sadistic, but honestly, very smart, like writing. Yeah. Sorry. I had to take quick, quick swig of, swig of water there. Everybody <laughs> He tells her that it is, it uh, takes a while to get out there mentioning that he wants to make sure that no one else gets hurt. Justin and it's crazy because he seems he sounds believable. Oh, for sure, yeah. He seems like a very honest guy who's trying to get them out of this situation. But they know better that this is not the type of group of people that would be honest and decent and try to do the right thing. Well, on top of that, they just saw a dead body that they know that who too. the actual killer is, and they keep yelling, "We want the cops! We want the cops!" Therefore, it's just like we. Definitely need to make sure these people don't speak to the cops. So, yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> uh, Justin is trying trying to reason with them, and he gave them the gun. Then Tiger runs up trying to attack them. Justin punches him to the ground, and Reese, uh, excuse me, uh, Reese jumps on his back, uh, putting him into a chokehold. Um, Reese yells for everyone to get him down, and they start kicking his legs so he can fall to the ground. Darcy is trying to get uh, get into the room, calling for Justin, while Reese has has him in an arm lock and Amber with her boot on his face, mocking him for locking the door. Pat and Amber move to the couch, blocking the door, and they spring into action to get their uh, to get the bullets. Darcy asks him uh, ask how things are going with a choking breath. Justin mentions not well. He's like not well. <laughs> Pat yells that um, it is fine, but they rather wait for the police. And once again, like even was Justin saying that not well, right? Comedic relief, like it, it's it's so it's sprinkled in so organically that it's not funny. That's fair. And yeah, it, like it's it's because it, it's so much tension in this moment that you're just like wait, I think I was supposed to laugh at that. Like, it wasn't until I watched this my second go that I actually had the opportunity to laugh at this stuff, but I definitely remember not laughing at all in this movie. Of course, it's used (laughs) as like a plot device to diffuse the tension that's built into it so it's not too hardcore, which just makes the movie play along really well with some really hardcore elements to it, but it's not overbearing and you're just seeing something very morbid. They hide in these little moments of cheerfulness or humor like uh, substance in the movie itself to make it a little bit easier to watch, which is good. Right. It's used very, very well. It's used perfectly. It's used absolutely perfectly. 
They load the gun, and he says that Justin is fine, and he is going to wait with them, too. We move to Darcy. He tells them that he understands. He tells uh, and lets them know the whole tight. Gabe wonders if they know, and Darcy smashes his head back in the wall, um, yelling that he thinks they are smarter than him. He catches his composure and apologizes, uh, telling them that they will do it. They would do it here before they leave out um, the hall. And it's it's crazy because like Darcy is pissed, right? That Gabe was the person in a way like it's not Gabe's fault, but Gabe was the one supposed to be handling all of this, and he's not doing a great job, I right? Guess, for Darcy. Back with the band, Reese holding Justin's arm, telling him that uh, usually in a tournament, he would either snap his arm or he taps out, and then they go get burgers. <laughs> Once again, that comedy. Amber shouts uh, for him to snap it, and Pat mentions that they uh, have have the gun, but he is cut off by Sam saying that she doesn't want it. She tries handing the gun off to someone else, but Pat and Tiger don't want to take it, but Amber offers to take it off of her, but Sam tells her no. And I like I like the resistance towards Amber from Sam because I feel like that is a uh, uh, very much a very real thing because it's just like how do I know you're not one of them right. kind of thing I don't know you I I just met you 10 minutes ago how do I know you're not one of them why would I give you this gun I don't care like how you're acting right now like I'm not going to give you this gun so I think that's also a really smart way to perceive that uh, Reese tells her to uh, keep it and he will um, take it when he is up. Then he asks Justin when he lets go, uh, what is he going to do? Justin mocks that he will buff fuck everybody in this whole room. <laughs> so Reese pulls his arm harder and instructs him to repeat that he will sit crisscross applesauce. While he is about to repeat it, he lets him go and grabs the gun, pointing at pointing it at him, directing him to sit back to the chair. I like how Sam's like, nice, dude. Like, holy shit. Didn't know you yeah. could do all this. <laughs> Pat asks Amber if, if there is another way out of here, and she tells him there isn't. Cut to Darcy and the other two men inside the bungalow asking Clark if they fed them yet. And I... It's fucked up, but I love the ref- the referral to them, quote unquote. Right. Clark says while putting his jacket on that it doesn't matter because they are professionals. And Darcy comments on them losing a couple or a bunch. Clark tells him um, that they are they are pros and they earned. Darcy mentioning that he will comp he will be compensated. Then asking him um, how many people are on the list towards Gabe, he continues to write on a note. They leave out of the room. Clark goes over the pricing: twelve hundred dollars for a prospect, two for a bait dog. No studs, no champs, unless he wants to pay twenty grand ahead. And just fucking makes me sick. Dude, so sketch. Like people, some people still do this. Like. Right. Dog fighting and shit. It's wow. It's sickening. It's fucking it's it's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. Darcy lets Clark know that this uh might cost his livelihood and as long as it doesn't cost him his, then he is covered. They head inside the venue and Darcy continues letting them letting them know that there will be cops instructing them to clean up the re- uh, residence, but Daniel um at the and put Daniel at the door and bring their van around. He asks for the keys. Gabe thinks that um, they are with them, and Darcy says that uh, he needs them. And I like that, like, a lot of this was just like, yo, we need these keys. And that's like the majority of their plans are based off of getting these keys. Right. Like, I, I really, really like that. 
Clark mentions that he has a ton of shit to do and Darcy tells him that uh, tells him to go on while the, uh, they continue walking towards the stage, commenting on the Ain't Right's gear being a fire hazard in the hallway. And yet again, the comedic relief. <laughs> like he's walking past and he's like, that's a fire hazard. And he goes straight to the door. <laughs> Gabe tells him that uh, he wouldn't put Daniel on the door and he tells Gabe, fine, um, there's plenty to do. And they go to the bartender asking for Daniel, and he tells him that he stepped out. Um, he stepped out. He just co- he's just covering, asking if everything is okay. Gabe doesn't answer him. We cut to Gabe in the in their van. Darcy telling him to meet him in the utility shed. He nods his and uh, while he nods his head, they hear an engine start in the distance. Darcy um, heads towards the direction. Gabe getting out of his car to follow him. Um, they. Come up to Gabe, or excuse me, they come up to Daniel, small talking about his car. Darcy tells him that he needs some of some of the squad, red laces only. And this is just Damn. Scary. Yeah. Like I I haven't had an opportunity to even look up um like what the whole red laces thing is. Um but I think it's it's interesting because I know like there was like a Doc Martens ad or something that I think this is what it's about or something, but I'm not too sure. Like I, I know like, cause Doc Martens are from Portland. So, yeah, but, uh, I just found, I actually just found something. Uh, Doc Martens ad features red lace as a symbol of white supremacist movement. So yeah, super <sighs> sketch, super intriguing. Yeah. It's fucking scary, dude. I know that is it's the world we live in. Scary. scary. Ugh, Jesus H. Christ. Anyway. Daniel asks if, if this is for tonight, but he tells Daniel um, now asking for the list from Gabe. Gabe tells him that it, uh, that this is everyone that that knows, including the band. Darcy hands it back, telling him that this is a, this is manageable and not a single name gets added unless they have red laces on. Gabe reminds him that there are 80 people in there, Darcy adding him plus four, commanding Daniel to give Gabe the keys just in case um, they have to play ballet. He does, he does as he's told. We cut back to the group in the green room, Tiger and Sam opening the ceiling above. Pat asks Amber if she has a phone. She tells him that uh, they took it and her and um, also Emily's as well. He tells her that he is that he is uh, going to check her um, just in case he bends over her. He bends over her, removing the items from her her pockets. Um, And by her, I mean, Emily. Um, And uh, he finds a napkin with the words, um, Flesh wolf on it. Sam tells him that flesh means flesh or meat um, or fleisch, maybe fleisch, um, mm. saying saying that it is German. Pat putting together meat wolf. Tiger mentions um, mentions that they uh, that the ceiling is solid and Pat not finding anything useful uh, on the woman. He goes up to Justin, demanding him to empty out his pockets. He tells Pat to come search him. Uh, Reese points uh, points the gun at him. Telling him to come on, Justin asks if he if he can get up. Reese tells him in the chair. He sits on the he sits in the chair and throws his stuff onto the ground. Reese demands for him to turn out his pockets, and Justin was hiding a pocket knife uh, that he throws out on the ground. Reese commands that he continues. Justin takes takes out a phone. Um, while Pat demands that he uh, he hands that over, Justin breaks it and throws that on the ground. Interesting. Damn. Fucking asshole. What an asshole, though. 
I mean, fucking asshole. Right. I mean, it's the right thing to Smart. do on his end, but yeah, man. And then the ah, uh, the box cutter. Ooh, I hate the box cutter. I hate that even in this movie. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about it soon. Oh yeah, that box cutter scene, man. Ah, uh, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Tiger asked if if that was uh, a phone. Then the lights cut completely off, completely out. Sam yells that this is po- uh, possibly a raid. Um, Amber speaking up if she is serious, but Pat um, shushing them, telling them to point point the gun at the door. Reese yells that nobody moves. Amber sparks a lighter, telling them to be careful while lighting a cigarette and handing it over to Justin to smoke. Fucking, this is beautiful. so smart. That's the cinematography on this is fantastic, oh. and the fact that this is even written this way to light this cigarette, handing it to Justin. So they can keep an eye on him during the dark. Yeah, and her dialogue is so great too. It's like if you see anything the cigarette does that you don't like, go ahead and shoot. Like, damn. Right. That's so smart. Fantastic. So smart. Fantastic. She tells Reese if Justin does something that he doesn't like, then shoot, telling everyone to, uh, to get comfortable. Pat, Sam, and Amber are talking in the background about her falling into the into this with Nazis and her saying um, that it is a problem where she grew up. Meanwhile, Tiger is looking through a vent ceiling. Th- uh, uh, oh, excuse me. Meanwhile, Tiger is looking through a vent, calling them over. Um, uh, trying to call everyone over and then the lights turn back on. Meanwhile, Darcy goes out goes on stage letting them letting everyone know that they tripped the power and the generator is fired up, but they have to call it a day for some troubleshooting. The crowd groans, Darcy adding that he will try they will try again on Sunday with no door charge and free drinks from 2 to 4. We cut to the women's phone the uh, woman's phone ringing from Daniel trying to reach her not knowing her outcome. Darcy uh, continues going over the schedule unless they hear otherwise and for them to remember that this is a movement, not a party. Fucking scary. <laughs> the crowd claps and cheers, wishing them to stay safe. Outside, Daniel asks his red lace crew for, for a few of them to uh, come with him. The ones he hadn't smoked or the ones who hadn't smoked yet. Worm chugs a beer th- uh, and th- uh, excuse me. Worm chugs a beer, then throws it um, on the ground before hopping in his car, sporting a quote unquote save our white race sticker. <laughs> Gabe asks Darcy if he is where if he is worried they will talk. He tells Gabe they, that they got priorities while handing them some drugs. He instructs Gabe that he instructs Gabe to tell them the party is on is on them if the, if they hold up for a couple of days, but. They have to put uh, this fire out first. Fucking man. man, this shit, dude. This this whole this whole master plan of Darcy is just so fucking skin crawling. It, like it's just it's scary, right? It's like I, I like I, I I I know I keep saying that to everybody, but this is the horror film that really genuinely kind of scares me. Oh, for sure. Because of how real and grounded this feels. Yeah. It never moves away from disbelief of this could actually happen. Like this could actually happen. And what we're watching on the screen too, is that it's, it's happening very quick and very like precisely. And it's just so smart. And it's sad to look at because you know that this may work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main thing is that like they're doing all this and they're putting all their ducks in a row that 
shit, this is sounding almost foolproof at right. this point. It looks easy to them. And and they make a reference about like the whole paintball match where like it's like a group of guys versus some like Marines who are like trained and professional. That's how it actually feels in this movie. It's a really good contrast of that story with yeah. what's really happening. It's like they know what's going on. They know how to make this go away. And they're right. pretty much the prey. And they have to figure yeah. out how to survive. Which is like, damn, okay. This movie is very deep. And it's, uh, I got to say, yeah, it's very scary to watch, like you said. Because in reality, this could be something that could possibly happen. Yeah, man. It's fucking terrifying. Gabe asks um, about Grove Street. Darcy mentions his dope um, and the fact that he has the black the black stamps um, on it just in case if they get booked for possession. They go to Worm, telling him to go somewhere safe while handing him some drugs. They're moving the Ain't Rights van. Tiger is drawing on, on the floorboard, letting Sam know uh, that there's daylight underneath. They hear that uh, they are moving their gear. Or excuse me, they hear them moving their gear, and Darcy knocks on the door, letting letting them know that they are loading them out. Sam asks if the cops are here yet, and Darcy tells them um, that they have come and gone. He asks if they can hear him at this volume because his voice is getting a little hoarse. They simultaneously tell the, tell him they can. He asks if they can also elect one person to speak. Sam nods towards uh, towards Pat, and he goes closer to the door. Darcy lets him know that they are trapped, and this is not a threat, just a fact. Pat rebuttals, saying that, well, they have a loaded gun, and that's also a fact. What a fucking comeback. Yeah. What a comeback. So good. Darcy lets him know that they have plenty more guns on hand, and they uh, just want them out, not harmed. He goes on saying uh, that uh, that the gun has... Th- that the gun they have is not registered, letting them know that he wanted it out of the picture before the co- the police came, uh, but they refused. So they are, um, so they are here. He apologizes for his associates panicking. Pat is raising his voice, but Darcy yells uh, for him to listen. He lets Pat know that they aren't um, trying to wipe the slate clean. Whatever they saw, they can tell whoever they want, whatever they want. He continues asking. Um, Asking that they understand that they are that they were held there for their own safety before they were released. Pat looks back at the crew and agrees with Darcy, giving his thanks. He asks Darcy if the police are coming back. Darcy tells him again that they have come and gone, causing Pat to yell that um, it was uh, that is what concerns them. He lets Pat know that he he just wants to he just wants the gun out of the picture, and Pat walks back to the group for a powwow. And I love. I love this because when he's walking back to the group, it's kind of like a uh, like a film goof in a way that Reese catches because he walks in front of Reese pointing the gun at Justin and Reese is like, yo, dude, like, watch out. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm fucking pointing this gun. I don't want you to fucking shoot walk me. in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that because it's kind of like a, a film goof that they caught in the movie. Um, he asks, what, uh, what do they do? Tiger tells him, tells him that they dig through the floor. Sam shares that they, uh, can shoot them at any time, but Pat reminds him that they haven't yet asking, how do they know that they even have guns? Amber buds in, letting him know that, oh yeah, they have guns. Sam wondering if they can even trust her. Reese remind, reminds them that they don't have any leverage here. Amber comes up with the suggestion of asking for a phone for the gun. They agree. But Tiger asks about Justin. Reese mentions that they uh, will take him out out himself, or that he will take him out himself. Pat acknowledges and goes back to the door to negotiate with Darcy for a cell phone. Darcy simply just tells him no. 
<laughs> Pat yells for a registered fire, firearm and Darcy calls out to Justin asking him if he is alive and well. Justin shouts that he's alive and Darcy gives out a good um, and goes back to telling the group hoping that he appreciates the situation, agreeing that things went haywire. But if they don't hand over the gun, it won't end well. He continues going over the scenario of an out-of-town band that is in, that is in his establishment with an unregistered fire, firearm. Pat tries to in, interrupt him, but Darcy goes on that someone got hurt inside the room, and maybe this maybe there's also hostages asking what what does he do. Asking if he is in, in his rights to intervene. Questioning if, if they should kick down the door and start shooting or can they just remove the gun from the equation giving them 30 seconds to answer his question um pat tells him to hold uh, pat tells him to hold on while asking the group if they have any smart ideas reese commands for justin to get on the floor and he obliges uh, then he calls for sam to take the gun from him so he can put justin back in an arm hold telling him that he plays if he plays nice he will play he would be nice sam asks for him uh not to do anything while tiger is calling this a stupid idea pat agrees with him but they either hand over the gun or open fire with them or with it amber tells him that um he votes he votes for that but sam makes it uh, clear again that she doesn't get a vote pat says all they are doing is buying time reese speaks up that he is curious at this point so reese is just like fuck it i'm curious now like, let's see what happens man and sucks because he definitely got to see what happens yeah it's like the cat right curiosity killed the cat you don't stay curious very true, very true. And this is where we're starting to now dive into our tropes a little bit, which is yeah. pretty exciting. With tears and, and a trembling voice, he agrees to give them the gun, but they are going to keep the ammo. Darcy agrees on that being safer for everyone. Um, and I love how the voice isn't as welcoming at this point. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it, uh, I guess that'll be safer for everybody. He now sounds more irritated, right. which is great. It's like, get along with it. Him and Right, exactly. Him and Amber move move the couch while Sam removes the bullets from the gun. Amber is looking through the vent on the floor while uh, Pat gets the gun from Sam and Reese telling Justin to keep still. He commands for Darcy to stand back and he agrees while Amber watches him walk away from the door. With heavy breaths, he unlocks the door. Darcy asks if he can approach, but he yells no, saying that he will throw it. Darcy telling him to be careful because it was a gift. Amber continues um, looking in the vent below. She notices a red shoe. Uh, she knows, notices a red lace shoe um, is standing to the left of, of the uh, door and says that they are killing them. Sam yelling for the, him to keep the gun. The unseen group grab Pat's arm as he is yelling okay for him to let go. And he's repeating it, right? He's like, okay, 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 please stop, stop, stop. Right. And us as an audience wondering what the fuck is going on? Right. Because we don't see, we just see him getting pulled, but we see the door covering what's happening to his arm. And man, <laughs> yeah, this was my first <laughs> when we get the reveal too. And Sam and, oh. Ti Sam and Tiger are trying to help, help him poking the rod that fell off the ceiling from earlier through the door. Reese stays on Justin and starts pulling harder on his arm while he is trying to break out of the clutches. Pat continues to scream and cry in pain and Reese breaks Justin's arm. Pat falls back into the room and he is crying and screaming from the from deep lacerations on his arm caused by meat cleavers outside the door. Jesus H Christ, dude. 
Yeah. And this is wild. This is wild. Like his hand, I would have preferred it to probably be cut off. Oh, for sure. Because you, because like, oh man, you yeah. see the the tendons, you see the meat. It is wild, and it's all over wild. his arm too. It's not in just one spot. It's like, oh yeah. man, so bad. And it's crazy because it's like in that moment you're thinking like, what are they doing to him? And then you see, it and you're just like, fuck. I wish I didn't know what they were doing to him. <laughs> right. And I gotta give they it. Cut. Oh, sorry. Just real cut. quick, I have to give it to like this. Like, um, it looks like it's practical effects and stuff like that, too. It's like makeup and stuff. Oh, yeah. And it looks really that's good. Why, that's probably why they didn't show us everyone getting fucked up. <laughs> exactly. practical effects are expensive. Oh, for sure. And it worked really, really, really well in this because oh, yeah. it got to me. I was like, damn. I think this was the point where, like, I texted you while watching the movie. It's like, damn, this movie is intense. But, yeah. Yeah. It really, really is. They cut up. They cut up uh, his arm and wrist so deep that they um, that his hand is officially limp from from the damage. They wrap they wrap up his hand in, with a towel. Darcy knocks on the door, telling them that um, this will all be over soon. While he walks away, Justin gets up, saying that he is going to fucking crush Amber. She runs at him, and he clotheslines the shit out of her to the ground. Justin grabs a box cutter, but Reese jumps on him with a chokehold, yelling for him to get the box cutter. Amber crawls to them, yanking the box cutter out of his hand, asking Sam to tell him uh, when he is out. Meanwhile, Pat continues to scream and cry from the pain tiger, shouting for him to look at him, trying to calm him down. Sam mentions that uh, Justin is out, allowing Reese to let let up the chokehold. She um, is trying to give instructions to uh, Tiger for Pat's wound uh, or wounds. Um, he continues to try to calm him down. Justin starts making up, uh, waking up again, causing Reese to go back into the chokehold. Amber asks him if he if he's got this with tears in her eyes. While he is holding Justin, Amber takes the box cutter and slices upward on his stomach to his chest. Oh my god. <laughs> this scene... Uh, I think the only thing I put in my notes is like, yo, she actually did that. And that was my biggest cringe moment. Slow. Like, she did it slowly. Like, she knew the outcome. And she did it so slow that it made it even worse. Oh, of course. Because they're all talking. It's like, how do we know he's really out? I was like, oh, she has a box cutter. She's going to cut like a little incision. And I'm pretty sure I've seen this movie before. And I did not remember that extreme cut happening and when she actually did it it caught me off guard and i was just like oh i just suppressed this memory gotcha and for good reason yeah man i i definitely remembered this part and i was just like i forgot like i i didn't forget how uh, brutal this movie is but i remember it and i was just like fuck i'm glad david didn't watch this <laughs> good call i don't think he would have been able to have, have uh, to put the visual into people's mind if you haven't seen this and you're listening to this for some reason it's like someone unzipped a jacket and you just see it like open wider yeah when it goes above and i was just like oh yeah. it's so bad but yeah so that, good. that's exactly it but imagine you unzipping your jacket um with precision yeah <laughs> so yeah 
Reese throws them off of him, and then we cut to Daniel putting their things in the van. Darcy telling the Red Laces to hand hand in their firearms, adding that Clark will get their get them further instruction. Give them further instruction. He asks Gabe if he uh, gave them an ETA, and Gabe uh, tells him that he uh, said no calls. Daniel, not knowing what's really going on, asks them what happened in there. Darcy, ignoring him, continues giving the group instructions. Daniel asks again on what happened. Darcy tells him that a visiting band heard one of theirs he asks who gabe mentions his girlfriend emily darcy adding big justin as well pissed pissed off he asks, what the fuck are they doing doing here and for them to just get in there already darcy comes up to to him and silently tells him that they aren't coming apart and they are saving questions until this pig fuck is transferred off site Gabe calls for Darcy when he sees the van coming, telling the group that it is uh, their last chance if anybody needs to use the bathroom. Back with our band, Pat wailing um, while uh, everyone is banging on shit to figure out a way out of there. Reese moves Justin's body out of out or on the other side of the room. Pat tells Reese that uh, he lost the gun and he tells he tells Pat that he held he held longer than he would have. Kind of like encouraging him, right? Right. Pat yells to the group that he is going. He is going because um, there is no air shaft, no sewer system, no nothing. Tiger breaks through the floor and tells him that there's there it is. Amber and Sam come come up to him, saying uh, Sam asking what what's the time. Amber mentioning that it isn't daylight. Tiger adding that it's something. Reese picks up the mic stand and starts. Um, banging on the ground of the wooden floorboard exposed in the basement. Tiger jumps down first, then Reese um, and Sam. Tiger turns on the light and exposes their drug operation. Reese walks past, uh, walks past um, telling them to look for a door. Uh, oh, sorry, I quickly lost my spot there. Tiger going past the uh, plastic curtains. Amber is about to drop down into the hole. Pet weekly, weekly tells her that he's um, sorry about her friend. She looks at him in acceptance, then drops down into the hole. They are begging on doors, trying to get out, of the, get out, but aren't able to bust through. Frustrated, Reese tells them that they are burning, burning time while moving deeper in, in the underground, ta- uh, taking Amber with him back upstairs. Now, it's interesting because like, they are not trying to be quiet at all. Right. They're, like, they're just frantic at this point. Like, we need to get out of here, frantic. Survival mode. Pretty wild. Exactly. Sam asks if they should uh, look around more, and he tells her that they just they just did while um, heading back to the green room, not before Tiger takes some duct tape. Um, Amber mentions that it it, uh, it was never about Emily or them. It was about heroin. Sam tells Pat that it is it, it is a big ass bunker. Reese adding that it it uh, it also is a dead end. While Tiger asks for his hand. Um, he he unwraps his hand, telling telling him to look away uh, while he rips the duct tape, placing it onto a skit. Mm. It's crazy because like he's like he's like oh like nauseated by his own wounds. Reese tells them that he's done, um, and that they can close the door behind him if they want to strategize. Sam argues that they aren't ready, and he asks, "What does she uh, she think um, they are doing out there?" He tells him he tells him that they don't know. Reese yelling that they know um, they mean harm. I mean, it's true. Sam tries to reason that they have guns, asking why why haven't they killed them yet? Pat tells her that um, they just can't that they just can't go missing. They need them found. 
Amber tells them uh, to grab some shit and get ready to run after she is done kissing Emily one last time. Sam concluding that they will die. Reese chuckles, telling him, um, uh, letting, letting her know that the longer they wait, the surer that is. He asks if Tiger is ready, and he tells Reese that he is almost done. Uh, Pat, uh, Pat shares that they can't take it too serious, and they have to treat it like paintball. Sam is confused. Pat reminds them about Rick Silva, who helped organize the paintball for uh, Skato's um, bachelor party. They were a short, a few players to book the entire field, so they paired them up with these ex-Marines. He continues telling them uh, the first few rounds, they tore them apart, and he cowered behind the, these trees until he got shot. Reese erupts to ask Tiger if he is done and telling Pat that he is done. Um, Amber sarcastically asks uh, if that was supposed to be a pep talk as Tiger lifts him off his feet. Reese comments um, that they won't all live, but they may not all die either. Once again, all of this is just comedic beats, and right. they are so good. But yet, at the same time, they aren't funny because of the situation that they're in. I know, like this isn't like this isn't like us, Jordan Peele's Us, where. The comedy in that movie is very, very, very deliberate to the point where you are supposed to laugh. Yeah. On this on this movie, you either can laugh and feel uncomfortable with your laughter or you don't. And you're just like, I'm just on this ride of like, what the hell's going on here? Exactly. I think you make a really good point where it's like a movie like us could be specifically in the genre of horror comedy. You can't really put right. this movie in the horror comedy category because it's you not. You can't, even though this movie has a tremendous amount of comedic beats. Exactly. It's more to diffuse the heavy subject that's going on, the morbid situation, with some comedic right. relief that's not supposed to be laugh out funny, but at the same time, mm-hmm. take away a little bit of the tension so you're not always on edge throughout the entire movie. And it's Absolutely. just a really good balance because otherwise, if this comedy was not in this movie, I don't think it would be that enjoyable. I think it would take away from the film. So it was perfectly executed for that. I agree. They start grabbing weapons, Sam trying to hand Pat a bar, but he tells her that he is uh, just going to run. Tiger takes it instead. Sam says he's uh, uh, says her Desert Island band, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, the question from um, Tad earlier, Reese says Prince, and Pat shakes his head that he still doesn't have one. And Tiger says that he still is at mis- Misfits. Once again, com- comedic beats. Perfect. Right. Amber asks if they are going, and... Um, Excuse me. Um, I even put here, I love how they deal with with comedy in this film. It is so dark, but it is so natural. Like they actually are trying to break up the tension, but don't know how. (laughs) True. Sam bursts a fluorescent light and tells her, yeah, while walking towards the door uh, with her sharpened weapon. Before they leave, Amber whispers her two bands, Madonna and Slayer, then arms um, herself with the box cutter. Reese opens the door and Sam throws the light fixture, but nobody is there. They are in the hallway confused. Reese asks Amber, how many exits does this place have? She tells him the main, back, and maybe the kitchen. Tiger asking about the windows. Um, She tells him to see for himself as the music um, playing abruptly stops. They tell them to uh, be quiet, and they hear foot... uh, They hear... um, they hear a door close and Tiger asking if they should hide while uh, uh, Reese tells Tiger, do whatever you want. And I love how like gung ho 
right uh, uh, Reese is at this point because it's just that's that trope that where it's just like oh you got the jock here he is the guy who could do everything the strong guy <laughs> Sam mentions that they should split up another trope and Tiger um, which I love actually how this happens and Tiger monotonally uh, tells her totally <laughs> Someone opens the door, or excuse me, not someone. Clark opens the door with his dog, and they um and and he lets it go, sicking it on the group. They all disperse, which is initially saying of what Sam' initial suggestion was: we should right. split up. They all split up at this point in time. Um, but the dog catches Tiger ripping away at his neck. Man, Reese runs in the kitchen and tries going out of the door, uh, kicking it, and then goes out of the window. A red lace starts hacking with a, uh, a meat cleaver at his back until Gabe has to pull him off of Reese. He has this sick smile on his face from what he just committed. Goddamn. That's fucking intense, dude. Yeah. I, I, so intense. The one like the kills happen, it's brutal for all of them. Not one person goes out peacefully. Oh yeah, I think no. <laughs> I think someone gets shotgunned. We'll talk about that later. That was like the most oh, mercy yeah. like kill in this movie for sure. That's true. Meanwhile, the dog continues to gnaw at Tiger's neck, and this is pretty gross. Sam continues down the hall, grabbing a fire extinguisher. I love how she was armed with that fire extinguisher for like the rest of this. I mean, good, yeah. Uh, and she and she uses it really well. Yeah. She, uh, she tries for a door and one of the members is um, about to come inside with a machete, but she screams and sprays sprays him with the fire extinguisher. He closes the door, locking her in, locking her back inside the building. Reese is on the ground, coughing for the, uh, for the air. Um, that he's trying to breathe in and Gabe is going in his pockets, taking out his wallet. A big ass red lace pulls up, pulls the dog off of Tiger, commanding the dog in German, sending the dog after Amber. Um, and that glimpse of Tyler's thro- or Tiger's throat is so, so fucking so gnarly. Biting, biting her leg, she is screaming and hitting the dog with the microphone stand. The the microphone is close to the speaker, letting out this piercing static noise. Um. Uh, Pat runs up and grabs the microphone and puts it uh, closer to the speaker, causing the dog to let go and retreat back. The man leaves with the dog. Pat finds this this set list and takes it off the ground while he picks up Amber as well. They unintentionally rendezvous back with Sam. She asks, she's asking where Reese is, and Pat shakes his head, letting her know that um, it is just them before running back inside the green room. They uh, they close the door and move the couch back in front of the door. Pat hands the uh, the set list to Sam and shows her um, Flesh Wolf. Um, Amber Amber mentions that it is a song that means meat grinder. <laughs> Meanwhile, Clark puts his dog uh, back into his crate. Darcy is um, Darcy asks if he's retiring him, and he tells Darcy that uh, he is worked up. He uh, l- he lets Clark know uh, to or excuse me. He tells Clark. Um, to send in another or two and finish it. Clark tells him to kill the feed and he um, and he can't send in two fighting dogs um, because they won't have any control because they're fighting dogs. <laughs> right. Um, Daniel tells him to send send him in in there instead and he will finish up. He asks what are the rules. Clark hands him a machete, letting him know that he um, can use blades only, sloppy is fine, and um, try not to hit the bone. Darcy tells him to... Uh, to take Jonathan with him. What a fucking intense ass thing to say. I know. It's one of those things that's like 
when you use guns, you expect things to be a lot quicker, neat, and I mean, people will still die from it. But just when you bring in like blades involved, it's just brings a whole different level of like brutality to it. And the fact that they're hiding the slashes right. with dog bites, it's like you can be sloppy, it's fine. Just don't hit the bone. Don't show that it was an actual weapon that killed them. We will cover right. it up later on. It's something that's very mm-hmm. smart, but it's something that's like extremely scary. I'd rather be shot yeah. than stabbed for sure. Absolutely. At least I mean, me personally. Yeah. I'd rather not have yeah. either one, of course. You know, yeah, that I would agree. be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is like, ugh, it's a scary thought of being hacked to death. Yeah, seriously. The head inside, <clears throat> excuse me, the head inside, Gabe drags over Reese and Darcy, ask if he is still breathing. He tells Darcy that um, he is a little bit. He tells uh, he tells him to let him bleed and, and that later uh, will be better for the time of death. He asks for the keys, but Gabe um, doesn't have them. Daniel and, and Jonathan head inside. Jonathan unplugs the microphone, killing the feedback and removing Tiger's body. Amber hears their footsteps coming towards the door. Sam says that she can't do this, um, but she uh, readies up her extinguisher. They burst into the door. Sam is trying to use the extinguisher. Daniel pushes her to the ground, asking where Emily is. She takes his time to crawl in the open hole uh, in the ground. He looks at Emily's body. Jonathan asking him, um, what the fuck is he doing? Daniel asks him, uh, ask which one did it? And Amber tells him that Worm did it. Daniel doesn't believe her, and he asks her again. She asks him, um, "What? <clears throat> what did they um, tell him?" Asking him if he wants to know, or asking him if he wants to know if he wants Jonathan to know. They look at each other. Jonathan asking, "Know what?" She tells them that Worm found out she was leaving, and she didn't say that she was leaving with him. Telling him that Meat Grinder was their cue. Daniel tells Jonathan that he should go. I wouldn't have let Jonathan leave if I were Tim. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Me, Bert. Like, I'd be like, mm, nah, now we're all in this shit together. Outside, Clark grabs another dog while Darcy mentions that um, this is taking too long. He calls over Gabe, asking him why didn't he, why didn't he want Daniel on door duty. Gabe tells him that Daniel and Emily had something going on. Darcy looks back at Daniel's car, heads to it, grabbing the keys, popping open the trunk. He notices all the bags inside the trunk, realizing that they were about to leave together. He grabs a picture, and it's and it is Emily's, calling them um, two little lovebirds. And then he notices a baseball bat wrapped up in his trunk he takes it out and shows gabe asking him if he recognizes it gabe tells him no darcy shares that the bat is from last easter it was supposed to be it was supposed to disappear after the boot party jonathan comes outside and lets darcy know that they are just in there talking amber saying that worm did it darcy uh tells him not to worry about that giving gabe a kiss on his forehead saying that worm saved them all uh, Pat and Daniel go into the bunker and Pat is go- is calling out uh, to Sam trying to convince her to come out from hiding. Amber asks Daniel if he didn't know. Pat continues to try to convince Sam, letting her know that uh, he is with them. Sam is looking at the duct above, um, thinking that it is a wider duct. Um, he lets her know that they are not going to fit through there either. Um. Uh, he tells her that Daniel can help. She's asking why, and Daniel tells her that he's a traitor, and if they don't already know, then they know now. <sighs> Fuck, dude. He tells them that that he can uh, get them out of there and tells them uh, 
tells him to come on. Meanwhile, Darcy is handing out guns to the red laces, going over instructions on how to eliminate the group inside. He is about to mention Daniel and Amber, but stops his thought, going over to someone asking them what they forgot. Inside, the group is walking walking through with their weapons, Daniel letting them know that there is a river on two sides, a curry on another, saying they can parallel the main road back to go and excuse me they can parallel the main road back to go for help amber asks how the, how they are going to get outside daniel uh, goes behind the bar pulling out slugs telling them that um he has something that they don't while daniel is saying saying that he knows where the shotgun is he gets shot with the shotgun in the face by the bartender saying that he was too slow and what a great jump scare oh for sure it's like that. Like, oh man, it got me. That's for sure. Yeah, mid sentence. <laughs> it was so good. Whew. Amber smashes his hand on the wall with the mic stand while Sam use, uh, is using the extinguisher. Pat grabs a machete and chops him right to the neck. And I actually love this because it's not. It, it goes back to how grounded this movie feels. Right. Because he hits him in the neck, but it's not like over the top gore. No, but it's just enough to actually put him down. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the the man drops down. Amber picks up the gun while Pat takes the rest of the shells. Clark opens the door with another dog, but it, uh, uh, but immediately leaves when Amber cocks the gun back. She asks if they uh, should leave now, and Sam mentions that they have the gun, and she guesses they should. Amber takes two shells from Pat, and they open the door. The skinheads start firing at them, hitting Amber in the leg, causing Darcy to tell them to seize fire. Sam, poor, poor Amber's legs. Like, I know. They, they didn't stand a chance in this movie. Um, Sam grabs the gun while Clark um, sicks his dog on her. She takes, his sh- takes a shot, um, missing the dog. And the the sicking technique was uh, fuss, fuss. Right. And I looked up the word. It means barrel. Barrel? And I, yeah. Right. And I, I, I want to ask um, my friend um, who's from Austria, like, if that is a technique that would be utilized as something like that. But yeah, it means barrel. So I'm very curious. <laughs> Pat pulls Amber back inside the, vin- the venue. <clears throat> Screaming for Sam as she gets attacked by the dog. Uh, they limp back into the green room while they are being locked inside by, by the others. They are trying to catch their composure as Pat is wrapping up Amber's wounds. Amber comments that she is lucky because they, they were going to at least shoot her. Meanwhile, they are checking Sam's pockets for the keys to the van. Gabe finds them and hands them to Darcy. Darcy tells them that three will do and the fourth can just disappear. They could start cleaning up, going over the group, saying that this was supposed to happen already and they have to move quickly. They spring into action as Darcy acknowledges Clark as we as he says uh, uh, to thank his dogs. Um, Darcy mentions that it nearly got got away from him, but changes it to them. Pat wonders if they should be panicking. Amber just uh, says that she's hungry. Likewise, Amber. Likewise. He tells her that um, he can't die here um, with her. She simply tells him not to and ask for the rest of his pep talk. I love this. I love how they are having a friendship moment in a way, not necessarily a love interest. And I'm so happy about that because this could have easily turned into some really blatant, stupid love interest that wouldn't have made any sense, but they didn't do that. True. They understood the circumstances and they kept the, they kept that going, 
which is why this movie is actually fucking genius and more people should watch it. I'm just saying. He says that it no longer implies, but he insists that uh, uh, he, ins- but she insists, saying that she is curious, reminding him that the story, uh, what the story was about. He continues his pep talk story, saying that they were getting slaughtered by the vets with full camo, thousand dollar automatic paintball guns, and they were, and they knew real war, real war, and they and they played real war. They used tactics, hand signals, flanking, wiping them all out. His friend Rick was fed up and said, "Fuck it, not caring about them." Co- um, getting covered or getting shot the last match the whistle and the whistle blows and he just goes out there in sneakers and cutoffs wiping out their whole entire team not stopping just running laughing and shooting until they are all dead amber corrects him saying that they are pretend dead reminding him that they are up against real guns pat agrees and saying either way they can't play real war she gets up limping to uh, to pick up a sharpie telling him that they could at least pretend cut to Gabe um, talking about the batteries from the from the phone throwing them in in a bag that he hands to Darcy I I love that moment with them but at the same time I don't like that moment with Sam and um or excuse me with Pat and Amber only because it did seem like very home alone-ish okay yeah where I agree where it was it was like like well Let's try it. And they were kind of setting up all these plants and tags. Obviously, it, it was a lot more brutal than Home Alone, but still, <laughs> it was just kind of, I don't it was know. just kind of like, eh. uh, Home Alone uh, is pretty that's brutal. True. Home Alone, Home Alone sh- definitely is brutal. <laughs> if it was realistic, we'd see a lot of carnage in that movie, too. That is very true. But uh, I do like the concept of them doing like something like, oh, this is our Hail Mary. If we're going to go out, we're going to go out right. swinging. And I do appreciate that in the movie. It's like, cool. Stand up for yourself. Yeah. Just do what you got to do. If it works, great. If not, they're accepting their fate at this point, which is good. Right. As characters and yeah. developing their pretty much characters in the movie itself, which is good. Absolutely. Darcy pulls out some red laces, letting him know that they're um, they're just mopping up tonight and that he already earned these laces. Gabe t- um, takes the laces, but he seems like he's kind of hesitant, right? Like he's like, he's like, like in like in his mind, it feels like he doesn't actually want them anymore. Right. Um, uh, Gabe takes the laces as Darcy walks towards the door. He tells Gabe to push Neil, um, depending on the mess, and start looking on a new house band. Gabe asks if he thinks Cowcatcher is going to talk. Darcy comments that he is more worried about their habits, saying that they really have to stay away from the dope. Meanwhile, the rest of them are all finishing, uh, finish cleaning up and start moving their van. Darcy tells him, to, uh, tells one of them that uh, this all hinges on nothing having having happened there while putting his push broom on the bed of the truck clark drugs one of his dogs telling them that um this should keep him alive for another hour and he will consider it um, a personal favor if he dies with meat in his teeth he pets his dog um and places him on the ground telling jonathan that the bite command is fuss and that uh and that is all he'll need. Darcy tells him to disregard that and just shoot whoever is left, letting him know that they don't have to be accounted for because the forensics, the, for, the because the forensics is no longer a concern. Darcy hops in the truck with with Clark, while another comes comes over asking if they have a twelve gauge. Darcy lets them know that they don't have one in the office and try the bar. Clark asks if ask how many shots does he have left he tells clark three clark concluding that there you go you have one extra shot while starting his car and heading on his way (laughs) 
They head inside the venue looking behind the bar, but no shells. Jonathan tells Gabe to go go behind the bar and start and start getting and get started cleaning up. Jonathan goes down the hall towards the green room. Pat and Amber close the door, and a loud piercing feedback noise comes out of the PA system, causing the dog to bark. One of them almost shoots the dog, but Jonathan tells him not to, and and the dog runs off outside. Gabe comes down the hall asking them what happened, and they tell him that the dog freaked out and, and to turn off the speakers, but um, it isn't coming from their mixer. Jonathan tells Gabe to go and um, to not tell Darcy or Clark. They burst into the room, and Pat is standing above the hole yelling that they are down there. They yell for him to turn while to, to turn while Pat continues to yell down the hole um, and they ask who um, who that is. Pat turns around telling him Odin himself and jumps into the hole, falling on the ground, then whacking the machete around um, on the shelves while he screams. <laughs> the red laces find the uh, mixer and turn off the sound. Pat goes to, to a spot sitting um, to a spot sitting and continuing to scream and bang, causing them to come find him. Jonathan asks for the shotgun from Kyle, but um, he tells Jonathan that he has the shotgun. Jonathan then um, tells him to go down the hole then himself. Kyle doesn't say anything, and he snatches the gun, confirming that um, that he has three shots left, telling him to come down after he hears the first two, no matter what. Kyle tells him that um, it's obviously a trap. Jonathan telling him no shit. Kyle asking if he wants to go tell Darcy. Jonathan jumps down, whispering that Darcy is going to be pissed. He looks back up at Kyle, telling him to watch his back. While Kyle stays above, Amber slowly emerges out of the couch cushion, box cutter in hand, crawling towards him. Meanwhile, Jonathan is slowly walking towards the area where Pat is, but he shudders, yelling for Kyle to get Gabe, and they need two down there and one up top. He asks him who was the nine. Kyle is about to tell him, but... He is cut off by getting his neck slit by Amber. Man. Amber's fucking two for two right now. Yeah, that's true. Like, this is crazy. This is wild. That box cutter. <laughs> she, ugh. That box cutter, man. Vicious. She yells that uh, he has three shots left and starts shooting at Jonathan, causing him to... Um, causing them both to hide for cover. Jonathan takes a shot, then calls for Gabe to, um, but he is too busy cleaning up the uh, bar area. Pat calls for Amber, but then yells, never mind. Jonathan is headed towards that area, but Amber grabs the extinguisher, spraying it in the hole, yelling that um, he has two shots left. She drops Kyle's body down there, yelling for him to go fuck himself. <laughs> Pat gets back into position, and Jonathan comes closer. He takes a swing at Jonathan, causing him to fall to the ground and taking a shot at him but pat moves out of the way just in time amber yells that he now officially has one shot left while dangling feet on the entrance of the hole he takes a shot at the legs causing the body and handgun to fall down there he runs over to the body checks checks the gun but it is empty amber is above him with the with the clip yelling telling him zero as she looks down at Emily's body. Pat springs into action, loading the shotgun. Jonathan throws the handgun, causing Pat to um, to uh, shoot the ceiling instead. <laughs> this is fucking, this is a great action sequence. Great, great, great scene. Yeah. Like, this is so much action going on, and it's so gritty on how the action is because they both aren't like martial artists. Right. Right? So it's like, it's very... It reminds me kind of like of like Luke Cage or uh, Birds of Prey. Okay, it's very yeah. brawler style how they're fighting each yeah, other. Yeah, it's like street fighting. They're both not professionally good at what they're doing right now. 
It's two right. amateurs that are in two shitty situations, um, exactly. and they're just trying to survive the, the actual event. Right. And it's crazy, too. It's like, they, oh, I don't have anything. I'm just going to throw this pistol at you because now you have a shotgun. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they start wrestling for the shotgun. Nathan, or excuse me, Jonathan grabbing another slug, um, putting it into the shotgun as they continue to wrestle with it. He tries to pull uh, pull as Pat continues to hold hold on to the shotgun. Amber holds down um Amber drops down the hole, picks up the handgun, loads it, and simply takes two shots into his neck and head, causing Jonathan to fall over. This is just so beautifully brutal as well. Yeah. Like, it's just so good. They have a little hilarious moment about her getting him and Pat saying that she was that she flabbergasted that motherfucker. <laughs> they climb they climb out of the uh, hole and Gabe is standing in the doorway in absolute shock when he sees them come out. He tells them that he had no idea. They ask if if there are any more dogs or people. Gabe tells them no. They are about to they are up the road. He takes off his gloves, spits spits on the ground telling them that he doesn't want to go to jail. We pan th- through the venue as they walk outside into daylight with the gun pointed at Gabe. They look around, Pat noticing that the van is gone, but sees Daniel's car. He asks if, if anyone knows how to hotwire a car, and they say no. Gabe sharing that um, they would probably want to keep off the roads anyway. We briefly cut to the dog walking down the road while Pat and Amber walk through the forest. Gun continued to stay pointed at Gabe. He, stay- he asks Amber if they are going to shoot him. She asks for him uh, for the whereabouts of Worm. Gabe tells her that they sent her, sent him home, but Pat tells tells them to stay quiet until they are out. They continue walking through the woods and hear a gunshot in the distance with dogs barking. Amber mentions that it, that it is the residence. Pat asks um, Gabe, uh, "What are they doing?" He tells Pat that he it is something that he doesn't want to see. Amber suggests that um, that they can call the cops when they get to the orchard. Pat Pat grabs Gabe if he saw them and excuse me. Pat asks Gabe if he saw them die. He tells Pat um, he tells Pat that he saw two of them, but not the third. Pat makes up his mind and says that he thinks he is going to go. Amber looks at Gabe, telling him uh, to call the cops when he gets there, threatening him if he disappears, she will find him. He tells her that he will. Pat pulls out the gun, Gabe telling him that he promises. Uh, Pat suggests that Amber leaves as well, but she comments that he has three rounds and she has seen him pump a shotgun. They're off in the, in the direction of the dogs growling and barking while Clark is speaking in German. They slowly move closer as Clark and Alan are feeding Pat's friends to the dogs. Damn. Alan tells him that uh, that should be enough, and he calls the dog off. Pat moves closer towards the driver's side window, and Alan turns the car on, asking Clark if he thinks um, they would uh, leave the engine on. He tells he yells that he, he yells that he thinks so, and um, and it will run the gauge down too. Alan is about to open the door, and he sees Pat pointing the gun directly at him. Pat asks Amber. If she has the dog, as she comes around the other side of the van saying that she has the dog. So fucking good. I love this. Yeah. Love this. She commands Clark to tie the dog up and Pat commands uh, commands for Alan to give up his gun. Alan tells him that he doesn't have one. Pat mentioning that um, he will shoot him either way. Alan reaches in his back pocket, pulls out the gun, and he's trying to um, hand it to Pat. But he demands for Alan to throw it. 
Alan obliges, and Pat starts making uh, starts making starts walking slowly, making his way over towards him. He motions his gun um, for Alan to walk. Amber opens the gate and and gun pointed at Clark. Um, and they all start walking towards the house, but we are left with the beware of dog sign in Reese's body, face all mangled. Guns drawn. They keep moving toward, down the property. Pat notices the uh, his dead friends with uh, their siphoning tools, and he comments that they are making it their fault. Amber says that they were they were trespassing. Darcy is sweeping up and says that Alan and Clark are being held hostage. But or excuse me. Um, Darcy is sweeping up as and sees that Alan and Clark are being held hostage while Pat mentions that um, it looks fishy for him. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Pat educa- educating that the cloth is is to make it se- make it seal, but he would he wouldn't do it like that. Alan says that um, uh, and it's it's funny because he's like taking it out at the same right. time, right? Um, Alan says that they have the gun have his guns. Um, Amber telling him to shut up. Clark turns around saying, listen, but Amber just doesn't waste any time and fucking puts a hole straight in his chest. Yeah. Shoots him. So intense. Hell yeah. Let's go. Gabe hears the shot, but continues going as, as does the dog down the road. Pat, vo- uh, Pat's voices, voice trembles when, um, he asks her if they are going to kill them. She asks him why else did they walk down here? And he has this funny moment. He was like, I don't know. I was just trying to ruin their crime scene. Yeah. She comes with a great <laughs> she- response too. Yeah, as she tells him that she thought they would leave one, leave a new one. Mm. She is saying this without, um, without taking her eyes off either one of them. Shotgun pointed in their direction. Pat um, looks around, tears in his eyes, mentioning that this is a nightmare. Darcy complete, uh, completing for them all. all right, you fucking asshole! Right? It's like it's a nightmare for us too. It's like fuck you, man. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, dude. Amber saying for uh, saying for Pat to tell her um, that those stupid fucking words are his last. <sighs> I love this movie. Pat raises his gun, asking um, asking if Darcy uh, if Darcy has a phone. Darcy shakes his head. Then Pat is telling him that it is funny because he was so so much scarier at night. Darcy turns around, walking towards the house, pulling out the gun that they took um, back from earlier in the night, but. He doesn't have bullets. <laughs> Alan um, about to run at them, but Amber shoots him, and then um, they proceed to shoot Darcy. Pat getting the last shot in his head, and Darcy taking a shot, missing in between them. They look over. At, they look over his body one last time. Then we pan through the area of the warehouse, and Gabe makes it out to the road, telling a group of people working outside that he needs the police. Jump to Worm in his band, doped out of their mind as he eats, um, watching TV. Tad vacuuming his um place, uh, for his cousin to arrive. Sadly, he's not going to. Um, as he listens to his Ain't Rights interview on the radio. Lastly, we see that their van playing the interview as well as a dog walks past it. Pat and Amber are on the ground of the residence and they see the dog coming towards them. They get their guns ready, but the dog just walks past both of them mm. to lie down next to Clark's dead body. And this that breaks my that heart. That was sad. Yeah. Oh, breaks my heart. Pat tells Amber that he knows his desert band. And she tells him to tell somebody who gives a shit. Then, credits. Wow. <laughs> what a fucking movie, dude. It's crazy. It's, it's a wild ride, shit. for sure. Shit. It is. It's, it, oh, it's insane. It's shot so well, too. It's, oh, it man. is. 
It's absolutely beautiful. Now, I'm going to do a few uh, movie facts here, but I'm not going to do a ton of them because I actually do need to go. But I got some movie facts here. Movie facts. Sir Patrick Stewart said in an interview that when he finished reading the script at his country home in England, it was so terrifying that he locked up his house, turned on the security system, and poured himself a scotch. He then knew that he wanted to play Darcy Banker, the Darcy Banker role because a character that horrifying would be incredibly challenging and would make for a compelling movie. Wow. Good for him. (laughs) He did it for the role. Yeah, had to do it for the role. Nice. Red boot laces are mentioned a couple of times, once in reference to people who were allowed to uh, to know what was going on, and once when a character earns his or her red laces. Red boot lace ca- uh, color is important signal in skinhead culture, indicating that rarer has shed blood for the skinhead movement. Racist skinheads will often uh, randomly attack non-whites to earn their red laces. Jesus Christ. Sketch. While the tracks were recorded um, uh, separately, the stage performances, the actors and actress uh, actually performed their songs. Anton Yelchin and Aaliyah Shawkat um, already knew how to play their instruments. But according to Jeremy Saunier, uh, Colin Turner and uh, had no experience with any sort of music. Joe Cole also learned to play drums specifically for this movie. Nice. Um. And I'll, I'll do two more here. The stance on of the Machete Wilder in the poster reference the Clash, uh, the Clash's London Calling album cover with bassist Paul uh, Simon and smashing his bass on stage. Nice. That's so badass. That's awesome. So badass. Uh, last one here. During a 2015 Q&A at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas, Jeremy Saulnier uh, confirmed that while his last two movies uh, had color colors in the titles, Blue Ruin and Green Room, he hasn't he wasn't really working with color as a theme. Rather, Saulnier joked um, this movie was part of his uh, inept protagonist trilogy, wherein the protagonists are in all over their heads and trying to survive using skills they don't really have. This theme is present in Blue Ruin and Murder Party. Interesting. Man. What a fucking movie. But let us know over on Twitter at goodnightlife and that's night with a K what you think about this movie because I want to keep this conversation going. I think this is just the epitome of just a fun slasher-esque movie. It's, it's so wild. Yeah. It's so wild. And what a concept. I have what to a agree. Concept. It's just, and I, I, I would love to keep this conversation going with everybody, but this is not the end of our listeners choice. Ghoulish nights month. Everybody, we got another movie that you d- did pick for us. And that is going to be, the mist and i'm very excited to revisit this movie and i'm actually going to request for you freddie to watch the mist in black and white Done. find that version because i know you've seen this movie yeah. before and i want you to see a different movie okay so find the black and white version because it feels like an entirely different movie but this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, and alongside me we had Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife and that's night with a what? Okay. 
By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlife.